centered around a scripture and uh, a chapter in the Bible, Romans 12, which was actually the first chapter of the Bible I ever memorized, the first uh, scripture that really transformed my life. So I'm very excited to be able to kind of go back in time and relive some moments when I was as a young Christian studying a passage that I think can revolutionize our thinking and our understanding about what it means to live a truly spiritual, truly alive life in Christ. So I started that series last weekend. If you were not here last weekend, I would strongly encourage you to go to our website or to iTunes and listen in to last week because last week was a big overview of where we're headed with this series. I talked about five relationships, and for the next five weeks, I'm going to unpack each one of those five because Romans 12 tells us that the life Christ has called us to lead, if you really want to be a strong Christ follower, you have to understand how to operate in these relationships that are right here around you. So we, we talked last week about our relationship with God. We've been called, what, what's that supposed to look like? It's supposed to be surrendered. And what does that really mean? We're going to talk about that today. Our relationship with the world, Romans 12, 2, tells us that we're supposed to live a transformed life. We should be separate from the world. How do you do that? So we're going to study that next week. And then it, uh, in, in Romans 12, 3 and beyond, we get this understanding about who we are. How am I supposed to live with myself? How, what is my self-identity? And, and, the, and Paul tells us in Romans 12, 3, and beyond, we're supposed to live with a sober self-assessment. That fourth relationship is with believers. How are we supposed to live with God's family? And it tells us we're supposed to be serving one another in love uh, later on in that chapter. And then finally, the last week of this series, we'll talk about unbelievers and what happens when pain and hurt and betrayal and bitterness and all that stuff is poured into us. And the Bible, Paul gives us a prescription for how to turn that on its head and respond to evil and pain and suffering supernaturally with good. And so we're going to talk about that as we roll through. If you missed last week, I want to invite you, go back and listen to it, plug in so you kind of have a context for where we're traveling as we study this understanding of true spirituality, what it truly means to be a Christ follower. Now, I'm going to take a couple of moments, personal privilege. Hopefully, you've got your Bible in your lap. You've got that outline. You've got your pen. We're about to study God's Word. And as you are kind of making sure you've got all that in front of you, or maybe your iPad, however you read God's Word, I just want to celebrate a couple of things and then invite you to something. Uh, first thing I want to celebrate, and probably should have done it earlier, is we got a couple of birthdays in the house today. Uh, Chris Gray, right up here, our worship leader, turned 31. 31. How young is that, right? And I don't know if she's, yeah, she's back there on the back row. I see you, Katie Moat. Katie Moat turned, I'm not going to say. She, no, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. Happy birthday, Katie. We love you, too. Yeah. Marianne Yamasaki, I saw, was, I think, yesterday, maybe, or something like that. No, yeah, she, I think she's telling a story. Facebook, don't lie. All right, um, and then the other thing I want to let you know is, uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, and I turned my birthday too. Yeah, Friday, all right. A lot of birthdays happen around here. Hey, Tuesday night, um, I want to invite you to something. Tuesday night, I am preaching at, at probably one of our largest African-American churches right here in the McDonough area. And uh, Wesley Chapel United Methodist Church is a church that uh, has about five, five to 600 folks, and they're down in South McDonough. You can look them up if you want the address. I'm going to be preaching revival for them on Tuesday night. And uh, the cool thing is, is our team of worship leaders are leading them in worship, and our greeters and ushers and stuff are serving them to really let them have a time of revival. So uh, Tuesday night, you want to come and have some, uh, a good time, and we're going to rock on Tuesday night down at Wesley Chapel, United Methodist Church. It's going to be a great time together. Hey, let's study God's Word. I want to talk to you today. No, notice that sermon title. What does God want from me? You know, there are these big spiritual questions you, you ask yourself 
that uh, I think anybody does. I mean, why am I on planet Earth? And God, if you're there, would you show me? And, and what do you want to do, me to do with my life? And I think this is one of the big questions. God, what do you want from me? I remember as a young Christian, it was one of the first questions I asked because I discerned that God wanted a relationship with me, but I didn't have a picture of what that really looked like. I, I knew other Christ followers, but just seeing a Christ follower doesn't mean you know what it means to be a Christ follower. Listen, I eat Big Macs all the time, but I really don't know how they make those things. You know what I mean? And, and so I was asking God, as a young Christ follower, how do you want me to live? What do you really want from me? What does that even look like? And that's what I want to talk with you about today. Now, by way of doing that, by way of diving into our scripture for the day, I want to tell you a couple of stories. But I want you to put your thinking cap on. Can you do it? And for a minute, we'll just leave our outline alone. We'll just leave our Bible alone. I want you to put your smart thinking cap on. I want to tell you two stories, and I want you to think about what you would do. I'm going to tell you two stories with two people, and I want you to think about what you would do if you were put in their situation. The first guy, uh, his name is John. John is a young engineer. He's 36 years old. He works for a pretty good company. He hadn't made it in the world yet, but he's an engineer all the same. Uh, John is kind of a history buff, and he loves kind of doing this um, antiquing, uh, estate sailing kind of thing. And one day, uh, John is going to an estate sale. He's in the house where they're going to be selling all of the stuff in the house all for one price. It's, you don't get to buy separately. You have to buy everything in the house, one bid for everything in the house. And as he's walking through the house, because he loves to go to these estate sales, he notices some stuff in the house that he would really like. He noticed this set of rifles that were really old, and he's a history buff, so he's like, man, but I, I'm, I don't have the money to buy the whole thing. He's tooling around and going around the house until he makes his way down in the basement, and he finds this old desk, and he's messing around with the desk, and he hits a button, and a drawer, secret drawer, pops open. And when that secret drawer pops open, he begins to look inside of it. He finds paperwork on the top, but then beneath it, he begins to find something that he would have never dreamed he would find. And as a history buff, he knows what they are. He starts pulling out gold coins that were minted during the Confederacy. And as he pulls out coin after coin after coin that was in the secret drawer, he realizes as he looks at this that he thinks he's in the presence of something nobody else has ever seen before except for that person who hid them there. And he thinks to himself, this is worth more than the whole house put together, multiple times more than the whole house. Now, John's issue is he's got $10,000 in a savings account, and that's all he's got to his name, really. He's got a first little starter home. He's got his car. But he's thinking to himself, how can, I, how can I get this stuff? And he finds out through some whispers that about the top bid is going for about $105,000. And he's thinking to himself, I, I, I don't have $105,000. How can I do this? What would you do if you were in John's situation? There's a risk. And there could be a great reward. But it's going to be a step of faith if he's going to do it, right? What would you do? I want you to seriously think about what would you do if you were in John's situation and would you have the faith to maybe take that kind of risk to possibly get that kind of reward? Let me tell you about a young lady named Sheila. She's actually 29 years old. She's a teacher at a local community college in, in her area, and she teaches art classes. And she's got her master's degree, and she happens to be doing a little tour across France with a whole bunch of other uh, family members of hers. And while she's over in southern France, she goes to this event, and they're raising money for a local a school for the disabled there. 
And folks from all around the area are bringing what they consider to be their most valuable art and music pieces to this one location, and they're bidding on them. And so she goes, and she knows a lot about art, and most importantly, they pull out what they believe is the premier piece of the event. And they're asking a bid of $25,000. They, they believe it to possibly be a Picasso, uh, a, a, an original Picasso, but the problem is it doesn't say Picasso. It just says two initials on it. And she sits there as they begin to bid this thing across the floor, and she's thinking to herself, by the way, I forgot to tell you this, she did her graduate work in Picasso. She realizes that in earliest, his earliest days, he just signed his initial, and she starts, she gets so close, she looks at it, and she realizes she's in the presence of a, of a portrait that probably is worth millions of dollars, and they're asking 25000 for it. Now... She drives a Volkswagen Jetta, and she'd have to sell that. She started a little on-the-side art collection. She'd have to sell all of that, and it ain't worth nearly that amount. She'd have to sell virtually everything she owns in order to have $25,000 because she doesn't have a lot. What would you do? What would you do? Get your pad in front of you. Get that outline in front of you. Something I've noticed that when it comes to these big decisions like this, when we're making big decisions, a few things are helpful. And I thought I would pause for a minute and just mention three words to you that I think are helpful. When I'm moving through big decisions, these are three words I think about. So would you write down, and this is it's not really in your outline, maybe on the top of your outline, just write the word truth. Write the word truth. Because when you're making a big decision, you need to know what's legit and what's true. Now, in John's situation, he's holding coins that I guess could be replicas, and he needs to ask himself the question, is it true that these are legit civil, uh, I mean, uh, Confederate uh, coins? Is it legit? Is it true? That's one of the first questions you should ask yourself when you're making any kind of big decision. What is truth? Second word, write this one down, the word knowledge. Knowledge. Now, you're more fit to make a good decision when you have a little more knowledge than maybe anybody else about a particular thing. And sometimes you have to go off and study that. Sometimes you have, to, you have to bean count it. Sometimes you have to write down pros and cons. But think about Sheila and think about John, especially Sheila, though, because she did her graduate school in, in, in Picasso. She had insider's knowledge sitting there at that auction that nobody else had, and she's got a thing called knowledge that nobody else in the room has, and that's going to help her make a better decision when it comes to risk and reward. So you wrote down the word truth, and you wrote down the word knowledge. Truth is, what is true? Knowledge is, do I have a, a greater grasp on this thing than maybe anybody else here? That's going to help me make a decision. And then write down the word, the, this word, faith. Faith. You can have all the truth and all the knowledge in the world, but the question when it comes to faith is, do you have the guts to pull the trigger? Did John have the guts to pull the trigger and sell almost everything he had, give away everything he had to take a risk? Did Sheila? We'll come back to them in a few minutes. But before we go any further, those little case studies that I gave you about John and Sheila, they remind me of a scripture. Because one day Jesus gave a case study to a group of people just like yourselves, and it was very much like the, script, the, the little story that I gave to you. See it in the top of your outline there? I want to read two stories, and I want you to listen to the similarities of the two stories that I just gave to you. Matthew 13, Jesus said these words, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found, and he hid again, and from the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. 
And then he tells another story because when great teachers would tell stories back in that day, they would oftentimes tell parallel stories. He tells another one. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls and upon finding one pearl of great value, the greatest of all the pearls, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. You got your pen? I just want to invite you to circle some things and, and kind of grab some things because this is a short little sermon that Jesus shared right here in Matthew chapter 13, but it is packed with stuff, okay? So if you have your pen, I want to get you to circle uh, two words uh, and two words right in the first sentence. Circle treasure hidden, man found. Write a little number one next to that. Treasure hidden and a man found it. We'll come back to that. Then circle again, uh, two words uh, again. Do hid again. Write another number two next to that one. Hid again. And now you'll circle, if you will, three words. Circle from the joy and put a little number three next to that, all right? From the joy. And then finally, we're going to circle sells all and buys that field. Two words and then three words. Sells all. Now, what Jesus is sharing here are, are four things right out of here that we can pull out of this. And if we were doing a Bible study, I'd be focusing on these four things. And the first one is, at the beginning of the story, where he said treasure hidden and a man found, there's a man who's walking through a field, and as he walks through the field, uh, maybe you'd picture him even having maybe a staff as he walks through, and all of a sudden he hits something solid. And the Bible says, as Jesus told that story, a man's walking through a field, he finds a treasure, and what does he do? He hides it again, right? He hides it again. It's almost like John and Sheila, isn't it? He knows something's there, and he hides it again. A man finds it. Now, when he hides it, he, he, he puts it in a place, which is, by the way, do you realize when Jesus was telling this story, this, is, this could be so common. This story could have happened all the way. There was no such thing in their day as SunTrust or BB&T or Hamilton State. No banks, okay? So what you oftentimes did was you took your treasure, you took your gold, you took your resources, and you hid it in the earth, and you would tell somebody else, one of your family members, so that they would know as well where it was. And that was the way you, 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 you hid it away from everybody. And when you're out there listening to this story, you go, a man's walking through a field, he finds a treasure, and then he hides it again. And I like the next part, third one. The joy inside of him was blowing through the roof. I mean, he's thinking to himself, oh, my goodness, I don't own this field, but I just found, you know, this could change my life. There's joy, right? Can you imagine being excited with him that you had just found a treasure? And then notice that last one, number four. He sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, this is cool. He's, the, Jesus is telling the story, so let Jesus tell the story the way he wants to tell the story, okay? He sells everything because that what's hidden in that field is greater than anything he's got. He sells everything he's got, and he goes and buys that field. Now, here's the question. Jesus talking about money? Is Jesus talking about treasure? Read the first lines. Read the first words. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, isn't he? Jesus is not talking about money hidden in a field, and he ain't talking about treasure, gold coins, you know, or Picassos. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And what he's trying to get us to understand was if you find that, you'd be willing to trade everything else you have in for that because that is real life. You'd give away everything else you've got for that. Now, this is, this is interesting to me because uh, Jesus, as he's teaching, he knows what he's talking about. He is offering them 
a life that many of the folks who are there, they don't even know what he's really offering them. They, 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 large crowds are following him. Large people know that, he is, that they expect him and they're thinking he is the Messiah. They're seeing him do miracle after miracle after miracle. And Jesus is offering them a life that is even beyond all that. A life of forgiveness of their sin. A life of eternity uh, in heaven. A life of guidance by God's power to, to live a life that's, that's totally different than they've lived thus far. Jesus is offering them pretty awesome stuff. But here's the cool thing. If you find that treasure, it's going to cost you something. Did you pick that up? Whether it's the pearl or whether it's the treasure in the hidden field, are you willing to sell what you have to get that treasure? You got your pen. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Here's kind of the thesis. Total commitment. Write that in that blank. Total commitment. Total commitment is the channel through which God's best and his biggest blessings flow. Total commitment is the channel. Now, that might be a bad word. And I should have brought, I should have, I, I thought about it this morning. I had a great metaphor that I should have brought with me to church here. Have you ever been out, outside in your front yard with a garden hose and you were walking across and all of a sudden all the power of the garden hose just stopped on you? What happened? You got a kink, didn't you? You look back over there and you thought, man, I got a kink. And you walk back over there and you fix the kink and what happens? Right? Flowing out. When I say that, I want you to hear that differently. Total commitment is the channel. It is the thing that unkinks your life to get the channel of God's biggest and His best blessings flowing in your life. Now, Stephen, what do you mean? What does total commitment even mean? You got your, you got your pen. Right underneath where you wrote total commitment, put this word in a box. Write the word surrender and put it in a box. One of the things I've learned in my life is surrender. Whenever I surrender in my life, I am unkinking my life to experience the greatest blessings, the best blessings God has for me. Now, this is interesting because God's path, what does God want from us? He wants this thing that would be a full life, an abundant life, but in order for us to get it, we've got to be unkinked, right? We've got to unkink and we've got to surrender. Now, here's what I've noticed. When it comes to this surrender thing, there are two lenses that you can look through surrender. So let me, I put one of them on, on the negative side. Let's look at that first. And boy, did I remember as a, young, as a young person seeking but not yet becoming a Christian, I remember going through this whole negative lens. There's a negative lens when we talk about um, uh, surrender or total commitment. You think of, you think of the sacrifice. Oh, oh I'd, have to, I'd have to sacrifice this or I'd have to sacrifice. You think of self-denial. I'm going to have to give up this. I'll have to give up that. That's that lens. There's a negative lens when it comes to total commitment and surrender. Or you might think of yourself as, Oh, it's, it, that would be noble if I could do it, but I don't know if I, or I'd be a martyr. I rem, you, do you know the singular thing that was almost the thing that kept me bef- become, from becoming a Christian is, Christian is I, I thought to myself, the moment that I say yes to God, the moment I raise the white flag, the moment I give total commitment, and the moment I surrender, I just knew what God would do. He would call me to go to this place, and I'd heard it before, and it's stuck in my mind. Why, I don't know. But there's evidently a place, and I couldn't find it on a map. I don't even know where it's on the globe, called Timbuktu. And I thought he would send me to Timbuktu. And I'm, I am not lying. I am, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm telling you the truth, all right? I, it was, I was like, God, if, if I, oh, ne- surrender was negative to me. It's a negative lens, right? But, but, but before we get to the positive lens, I want you to think about this. When Jesus is telling the story of a man who finds a treasure in a, in a field, that guy is not 
looking through the lens that's negative to sell all his stuff. He, the Bible says joy. He's excited and joyful, right? So there's this positive lens. Look over there at that. There's a positive lens where when you really understand what surrender really would be, it's the most wise, the most logical thing. It is the most shrewd thing you could do. It's the path to true freedom. When you realize what surrender Jesus' way is, it's like, this is joy. This is life. Now, you tell the truth. We're in church, so I want you to tell me the truth. When I was telling John and Sheila's story, and I said that Sheila had to go sell her Volkswagen Jetta, is there any one of you in the place that went, oh, that's terrible. I would hate, I wouldn't do that. I'd hold on to my Volkswagen Jetta. I wouldn't, get, I wouldn't trade that in for a Picasso. No. We were like, okay, if you have $600 or $10,000 in the bank, who cares? If you have a Volkswagen Jetta, who won't, you know, get rid of that thing too. Get rid of your art collection. Get the Picasso. And you know what else we were thinking? Catch this. You know what? I know what you were thinking. You were thinking, I wish that kind of thing would happen to me. I wish I could find the coins. I wish I could see the Picasso. I'd do it in a minute. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I made up the story. Hey, there's no, there's no guy named John. But you know there's been people like John. There's no girl named Sheila. But you know there's been people like Sheila who had a great chance. They cashed in on a great opportunity. And this guy that Jesus is talking about who found the treasure in the field or the merchant who found the pearl of, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus knew one or whether he made the story up. I don't know. But here's what I do know. If you are open to it, Jesus is blowing the box open for you to understand what real surrender is about. It ain't about negative stuff. It ain't about martyrdom, and it ain't about going to Timbuktu. Jesus said when he found that treasure, he hid it in the field. And if you, one of the most sweet parts of it is the word joy. He was, can you imagine the giddiness in him? I mean, he was like, yay, life changer, game changer. I'm going to buy the field. You get that picture? Guys, total commitment, total surrender. This, is the, this unkinks the whole, and it's not about uh, now I can have God's power, oh, glory, me to, you know, glory to me. It's about this is the life God called me to live. Now, he's, now I'm in a place of surrender, and true freedom is here. True joy is here for me to experience the Jesus life. So here's the question. What does total commitment look like in your relationship with God? How does it work? Now, I've challenged you for the last few weeks to journey with me into Romans 12. And today we're going to dive into it on the first level. Romans 12, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If you have your uh, Bible there, I invite you to turn there with me. We're going to focus in for the rest of our time just on one verse of the Bible. But in this verse, let's go ahead and read it out. And I want, to, I want you to notice the structure of it. There's a command, there's a motivation, and there's a reason that I'm going to walk you through. All right? Let's just read it through. Romans 12, because here's the answer to the question, what is total commitment, total surrender supposed to look like in your life and mine? How does it work? Here's the answer. Paul wrote these words. Therefore, I urge you. Some passages say, I beg you. Some passages say, I plead with you. Therefore, I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
And like I've done before, I'm going to get you to mark this up a little bit, okay? Let's do a little bit of, let's get a little bit inductive here. Let's go a little bit deeper in the scriptures. You got your Bible or, or your outline there. I want you just to maybe underline some things in circles. First thing I want you to underline is uh, the three words, offer your bodies. Underline that. Offer your bodies. And then if you have your, your pen there in front of you, I want you to circle two words, holy and pleasing. Circle, I'm sorry, three words, holy and pleasing. And then I want you to do a little squiggly line under the last few words of that passage, spiritual act of worship, four words, a little squiggly line under that. And we're going to break that down. And here's the structure. There's a command, there's a motivation why we do this thing called surrender and total commitment, and then there's a reason, okay? So let's deal with the command first. In that little blank, here's the command, offer your bodies. Offer your bodies to God. Write that in there. That's the command. Paul is saying, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Offer your bodies. Now, let me just break out a couple of things here. He is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to Christians in Rome, okay? Remember I talked about that last week? These are people that some of them are literally being thrown in front of the lions in the Colosseum. He's writing to Christians in Rome, all right? He's not talking, secondly, he's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about like that first surrender where you raise the white flag and you're born again and you receive Christ into your life and he washes away. He's not talking about that. And by the way, third thing, he is not talking metaphorically. It's not like offer your bodies and that's some kind of allegory or some kind of metaphor. That is, it is, he's, he's, he's being as real, as literal as he can possibly be. What is he saying? He's saying your job, he's begging you in view of God's mercy, is to offer your body, your real body. Offer your eyes, offer your heart, offer your hands, offer your feet, offer your lungs, offer your will, offer your mind, offer your ears, offer all of you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. <laughs> I'm sitting in France I've accepted the call of ministry. I'm, I'm 15 years old between my freshman and sophomore year, and they've got us, like I told you last week, they've got us memorizing this chapter or we don't eat. And I get away on a little mountain for my morning devotional, and I read those words. Hmm. Therefore, I, I'll read it the way I memorize it. Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. This is your spiritual life. And I thought to myself, hmm. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm off in France. I'm offering you my body, God. I've become a summer youth missionary for you, right? And you know what God said to me? Well, that's a start. <laughs> that's a start. I love Mimi's story that she told us earlier about her daughter moving to Swaziland. And you know, that was a great sacrifice. But let me tell you, that was only the beginning of her white flag. That was only the beginning of what she learned to be surrendered. Because what Jesus is talking about here, is, and he's teaching me, is he, it, this, this life, really truly, what it means to be truly spiritual, truly alive in Christ, means you learn a pattern of surrender that goes on and on for the rest of your days. A pattern of surrender. I'll say it differently, okay? I'm going to say it a little differently so you can hear it a different way. We as Christ followers learn that we have a penchant towards our idols, and we have to keep coming to a place of laying our idols down on a regular basis. You know, I, I, I asked this beautiful lady to be my bride. She said yes. And we got married. 
You know what I did in that moment? I surrendered to her. And I said, I'm surrendering my life to you. And you know what she did to me? She said, I'm surrendering my life to you. But it wasn't a one-time event, was it? Or we're not going to have a very good marriage, is it? We had to learn what it meant to live in this place of surrender with each other over and over and over again. I think it's one of the reasons God wants us to understand that a marriage is like how he operates with us. He wants us to learn this place of surrender over and over again. So what is the command? The command is offer your bodies. That's part of the reason this past Wednesday night and this past Sunday I talked to you about what, what would this really look like. If you offered your body, you would drive your car differently. If you offered your body, you'd, you'd speak differently to your employees. What does this really look like? How does this really work for you to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice? There is the command. Now, what's the motivation? Let's fill that one in, okay? The, the motivation is the mercy of God. Okay, write that in there. The mercy of God. I like the way Paul said it. He said, I beg you, I urge you, I plead with you in light of or in view of God's mercy, this is what you would do. In view of, get that picture, that you can see God's mercy, and this is why you do it. This is the motivation that you have to do it. I like to think of it this way. The logic of the kingdom is is that you would see what God has done for you and that you would go, Oh my goodness, I'll sell everything, I'll give everything I've got away to get that treasure. I mean, a God who loves you, a God who would come to the planet Earth to die for you, a God who would forgive your sins, a God who would give you a home in eternity, a God who would guide you and walk with you by the power of His Spirit every day. If you found that treasure, the logic of the kingdom is, you would look at that and you would say, man, look at His mercy, this is how I should run it. This is how I should respond. This is the motivation. And, And you know, really... It's almost as if God is saying here to us, can't you trust me? I mean, do you see all that I've done for you? Do you see how much I've loved you? Do you see what I've given for you? Can't you trust me enough? See, I think some people have got to make the little light come on here, and they've got to turn the switch on and say, you know what? Sometimes I forget that God really is a good and perfect Heavenly Father. He's got my best interest in mind. I don't have to worry about Timbuktu. I don't have to worry about martyrdom. You know what? He really is a good God. And when I look at his mercy, when I look at his mercy, it can cause me to respond and lay down my idols. I was driving to church this morning. I was driving to church this morning. I was thinking about what we're going to do. We've got Holy Communion prepared up here. And, and, and I ask God a question because sometimes the Lord speaks to me and sometimes I speak to me and I need to figure out which one it is, okay? And so I, and I asked God a question. I said, God, I didn't know whether it was a Holy Spirit speaker or not. I said, God, we've never done this here before that I thought about doing. I said, should we turn the tables around? I'm just talking to God. Should we turn the tables around and invite folks to come to the altar and offer up their idols first? And then after you've offered up your idol, then go and receive in view of God's mercy. Go and receive uh, those, those, that, that, that bread and that juice and remember the sacrifice of Christ. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? No, 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 no. See, that made logic to me. Oh, we heard that scripture before, right? Have your heart clean. You're not worthy to come to the table and all that. So why not go to the altar first? That made a lot of sense to me. And you know what the Holy Spirit spoke to me? The Holy Spirit said, no, you know what the best thing that they could do? They could come and receive that bread, that juice, hold it up before their eyes, and in view of God's mercy, look at it. It becomes your motivation to say, you love me so much, you sacrifice. Take that in and of yourself. Then bow the knee and offer your idols to God. 
see, I think this is what it means to be truly alive in Christ. We do this over and over, and we find a pattern of laying down our idols over and over again in view of his mercy because he loves us so much. And then there he is. He's asking some pretty good questions, I think. By the way, the God of the universe brought you to this room today to ask you a couple of questions. And one of the questions I think he was asking is, can you trust me? Look what I've done for you. Can you trust me to a place of surrender? Second question. Won't you let me love you? Won't you let me love you in view of God's great mercy and his love? He's called us to sacrifice and surrender. So let me, let's go into that structure. So I ask you to write down, offer your bodies to God, right? I, I hope you wrote the words to God. Offer your bodies to God. I, I hope you wrote down the words, the mercy of God. And then that last one, the reason. It is our spiritual act of worship. This is how we live in a, you know, we, I'm going to be teaching that New Connections class this afternoon. One of the things we teach is that you, you do this, you, you live a life of worship. It's not something you worship, it's something you come to. You are made to worship, so you live in worship every day. This is your spiritual way of worshiping God every day. You give your body as an offering to Him. I'm driving to church this morning. And, and, and some of you came, and it was sprinkling. And some of you came, and it was raining. But when I came, it was a monsoon, okay? I was, I was literally, I thought hail was going to start. And I, my window was making so much noise. I, I was worried about my own car. I'm driving here. And you know what the Lord did? And not, not everybody here is going to know this story. But the Lord quickened my mind to a place back in the old warehouse before we moved into our new building here where, where I was going to be talking about surrender that morning. And God uh, spoke to me on a Saturday afternoon, and he said to me, tell the people to give their shoes away. You remember this? Anybody remember this moment? You remember this moment? Uh, tell the people to give their shoes away and tell them to surrender their shoes. And, I, I, and, I, and that wasn't me. And I said, I began to think about how we could give the shoes to the poor, how we could put feet, shoes on people's feet. And I thought, man, that is okay, Holy Spirit. That is going to be a great moment of surrender, you know. And then Sunday morning... I woke up, and you remember what happened. And I'm dri- remember, I'm thinking about this one. I'm driving to church this morning, and the rain is monsoon-like, right? I'm driving to church, and what, this is what made me think about it. I woke up that Sunday morning, and it was pouring rain. It cats and dogs. And I talked, my dad said to God, you, are you kidding me? You want me to tell people to go home barefooted in their socks or in their pantyhose, get in their car. You remember this? I know y'all remember this. And, and, and God said, it ain't your church, it's my church. You tell them what I told you to tell them, right? I was scared, I'll never forget it. And when I invited you guys to give your shoes away, and, and together we all lined up our shoes across the front of the platform and we surrendered something simple like shoes. <laughs> Lord, help us get this. There was so much joy. There was so much joy. I mean, was it hard for some people? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember one guy bought a hundred. He never bought, he never, he bought the most expensive shoes that he ever bought in his life, $150 pair of Nike tennis shoes the day before church. The day before church. And he put them up there on the stage and he said, oh, that was a big deal to him. Some girl came up to me, you know, one of these, you know, really. Mm, and she really, she had, she had a $300 pair of boots on. And she put them up there on the, I'll never forget this one. I saw one little beautiful thing. I saw a male pair of shoes, a female pair of shoes, and two little baby shoes sitting right in the middle. 
They gave away the shoes of their baby. And you know what? If you were here, if you were here, you remember the great joy that we had of just giving our shoes away, letting our shoes go to homeless people. <laughs> Can you just, let's, let's kind of grab it all. Let's pull it all together here. Paul says, here's, here's what I want you to do. Here, here's, here's the command. All, you want to live a truly spiritual life? How am I supposed to live in relationship with God? That's what we're talking about here. The first relationship, us and God. Surrender. Offer your bodies, your physical bodies every day. Offer them to God as a living sacrifice. That's the command. Why? Why should I do that? In view of God's great mercy, look what he's done for you. Look what he's done for you. And here, what does it become? What is it, what is, what is it, what is it about? This is the way we worship every day. Think of worship a different way. You don't have to be driving down the road listening to 104.7 The Fish. Or you don't have to be in church listening to you know, our worship. You can worship by offering your bodies as a living sacrifice every day. So look at that final question. Final question of the outline before we have communion together with our children. Final question. So what does God want most from me? Just write down one thing there. Write the word me. What does God want most from me? Me. Maybe you'd even, I should have probably put it on the screen for you here. Then write, just do this for me. Dot, dot, dot. Me, dot, dot, dot. All of me. All of me. Stephen, what are you getting at here? You know, can I just, let's be real for a minute. Jesus showed up on planet Earth, and there were some pretty strong God followers on the planet. You know what they were doing? They were reading their Bible every day. They were praying every day. They were giving their money to God. They were, uh, they were, they were you know, doing mission for God. They were, they were good moral people. But you know what? It was those people that he had some of the toughest, hardest words for. You know why? Because they were doing all that stuff on the outside. But the Bible tells us when Jesus looked at them, they had hard hearts. They loved, remember Mimi saying she was a control freak? They loved control. They love control. They were not compassionate. They were not broken. They were not humble. And here, most importantly, they were not surrendered to God. They were doing all the other stuff, but they were not surrendered to God. What does God want most for us? Us. All of us. He wants me, and he wants all of me. And see, that's the essence of what it's all about. He wants our heart. He wants you. He wants all of you. And he wants you in that surrendered pattern of life every day. And so I, I, I don't know. Do I have it? I lost it. <laughs> I go back to Mimi's uh, Lego. I don't know what I did with it. I must have dropped it somewhere. You got your Lego? I'll do it. Throw it, babe. Let's see how good you are. All right. Hey, would you hold that Lego for a minute? I want you to look at it because every one of our Lego pieces probably looks a little different. Mimi challenged us. And I don't even know if she, she didn't even know what, all that I was preaching about today, but the Holy Spirit spoke to you today, Mimi. Mimi challenged us to let go. And then she said this. When she let go and she let her daughter go, there was peace and there was joy. Hallelujah. And you tell me that don't match up with Jesus. Jesus said, there's a treasure. And there ain't no sense in you holding on to the stuff that don't matter. You know, the Volkswagen Jettas, you know, don't hold on to that stuff. If you were today to say, God, something's crept up into my life and it's kind of become 
a focus of mine. It's, it's an idol. Let's call it what it is. For some of us, we need to let go of whatever that thing is that we're spending too much time thinking about. By the way, that's how you know what your idols are. When you spend a lot of time thinking about things over and over, just name the thing you think about most. That's probably what you need to be talking with God about today that's your let go. Huh. Today we're going to be inviting you to do what Christians have done throughout time. They've come to the table, they've taken bread, and they've taken juice, they've, they've looked at it, and they said, I remember what Jesus did for me. Remember Paul, in view of God's mercy. I remember what you did for me. And then whether that Lego is in your pocket or if it's in your left hand or whatever, I invite you to take a few minutes and just talk with God about that thing. And like Paul, if I could just say some God words to you today, I beg you, I plead with you, I urge you in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Lay down your idol, for this is your spiritual act of worship. God will meet you in that place, and there's a place of peace. <laughs> That's the path to true freedom. That's the path unkink the host and experience the greatest blessings, the greatest and the best God has for you. Surrender. It's the way he's always operated, even with his own son. We're going to talk about that on Wednesday night. Lord, in the next few minutes, as we let go, as we lay down our idols, help us, help us to once again, in a declarative way, say to you, we give you us, all of us. I give you me. I give you all of me. This is my act of